It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Well, we're back. Uh, the two days after taxes were due, hopefully everybody has survived another tax season. I know I am so, so thankful that taxes are finally done because it was one of those things where, as you guys probably know from some of my previous discussions, in addition to doing primarily personal financial planning and wealth management, I do some tax consulting as well. So that takes a lot of the time, and I was quite busy, but we were still able to get out some good podcasts. But I'm hoping now that I can devote a little bit more time uh, we can even take it to the next level. Now, I want to give out some welcome and thanks to all the subscribers out there. You guys have truly, truly helped us grow so much, and I want to thank you for that. And let me tell you what we've done since the last podcast. We actually have made the top 25 of the business podcasts on iTunes. i got to tell you, I told you all earlier that one of my things was I wanted to have 1,000 subscribers and I wanted to make the top 25. Well, we've made the top 25. Now, let's see if we can keep it there. And we've also now broken 400 subscribers, and we're adding people probably at about a rate of 60 to 70 a week. So we are truly growing this thing quickly, and you guys are owed a huge thank you for that. Without you guys, we would not be able to grow because I know this is a complete grassroots podcast, meaning that I don't have any big corporate sponsorship. I'm not getting paid much for doing this, actually getting paid nothing except for if you click on those links on the book, sometimes I get a little bit of a kickback from Amazon. But other than that... Nothing. So uh, this is truly a grassroots organization where we're getting our justification for doing this by the great comments you guys are sending us and by continuing to subscribe and coming back and listen to us. We have a great topic today, something that hits every one of us because in America especially, we all drive cars. So today I'm going to tell you how we can win the car game. One of the big things out there I, I like watching, I'm a big TV watcher, if y'all, as y'all have probably heard in some of the previous podcasts, and one of the big shows that I'm watching right now is Deal or No Deal. And I'm going to tell you how buying a car is so similar to that new game show on NBC and how you can turn the game around so it's on your side. Now, I wanted to um, throw out a little bit. We got some emails from some of our subscribers, and I wanted to go over a few of those we got the first one from Christy. And, Christy, I want to thank you so much for um, emailing me and letting me know. And I also want to tell you, it was kind of funny me to see in one of the opening paragraphs you were saying, I hope this isn't a silly question. And then I read that you're an MIT alum. I don't think there's probably too many stupid or silly questions that an MIT person is going to ask. You're probably much higher on the um, intellectual scale than the rest of us. But I want to thank you for listening and sending me the email. And Christy wrote that um, she's a few years out of graduate school and engaged to be married. And one of the things she's concerned about is she has a fiancé who's not as interested in doing, handling his finances or doing the financial planning if I had any advice. And I want to tell you, and, and I'm so bad at this, one of the things I try to put on our podcast website, and that, that website just for the new people coming on board is money-guy.com. You can go check out the show notes as well as see some of the, the homework that we're giving out to people on what you can actually read if you want to learn more about the topics. But one of the things I put after last show, and I put it on one of the first shows that we did, was a book out there by the author of um, David Chilton, and it's The Wealthy Barber. I would recommend, Christy, if you could, go to the site and then get your, buy the, for your fiancé and for yourself, that book, The Wealthy Barber. It truly is a life-changing book. It reads more like a narrative. I know some of the other books I've recommended, like The Millionaire Next Door, 
read more like textbooks. They have a lot of statistics and other things. The Wealthy Barber is not that way. It's um, written in a narrative form where it's a story and you can follow along. And it, everybody who I've ever given that book to or referred it out to somebody, they come back, especially young people, and are to, tro, totally energized on becoming involved with their personal finances. So that's the biggest and best thing I think you could go out there right now to get your fiancé motivated to start saving for you. You also asked a few quick questions that I wanted to clarify. You had asked on my earlier retirement discussion uh, about $1 million because I'd used that as a guideline. And, and maybe I used it to the point that you thought that was the number everybody should be working for. I just throw $1 million out because I think in, in all of our heads – we have that a million dollars is the amount of money you need to have for retirement because that seems like a, a great status level to reach once you become a millionaire. But it's completely different for everybody. If you have somebody who's making $25,000 a year, if they save up $500,000, dollars they're probably going to be completely comfortable in retirement. If you make um, $200,000 a year, obviously a million dollars is not going to be enough for retirement. So I, I hope that clarifies that a little bit, Christy. You'd also ask, um, what can you do if your employer is not offering you a 401k with low cost options? I would tell you really you need to start um, trying to, to research the internet and find articles that you can give to your employers telling them the importance of watching the fees that they're paying in their 401ks and their retirement plans at the office because a lot of them are done by insurance companies and other things that don't necessarily have the most advantageous fee structure out there. So I try to get your employer on board. Heck, for that matter, go ahead and um, throw out the Money Guy website and um, see if they want to become subscribers, and maybe we can convert them to the, the many subscribers that we already have and, and get you a better 401K in the process. You also um, mentioned where's a great place to go out and research mutual funds that are in your 401K. Uh, a place I like to look, I subscribe to their service, but for the people who don't subscribe to their paid subscription service, is Morningstar.com. You can go out there and research mutual funds on Morningstar and find out what their asset classes as well as their fee structure and then find out how they've done among their peers in the past. That's a great place to go research. So, Christy, thank you so much for giving me your um, feedback on the show. It means a lot to me. I'm glad you're enjoying it, and I wish you the best. And, you know, if any other future questions pop up, feel free to write me and let me know what I can help out with. Now, um, just as I told you, Christy was an MIT alum, we got another email from Camille, who's a 25-year-old business owner, who's actually a um, Berkeley alum who's living in New York. I'm just shocked. Here I am down on the south side of Atlanta in Georgia, and we have people all over the country as well as all over the world that are writing the show to give us feedback. That That is what really motivates me more than anything in the world. I really love y'all's feedback, and I really truly appreciate that. Now, Camille was asking, She, like I said, she's a 25-year-old business owner, was asking for some more entrepreneurial-type advice that I could give. And I want to tell you, one of the things that I have been blessed with is that being a wealth manager as well as working in the CPA field is I've worked with a lot of small business owners, a lot of successful small business owners, and you can see the delight, and there's something different in their eyes. And you say, you know, you always hear the adage that money doesn't make you happy, and that is completely true. Money is more of a commodity than anything else just to enable you to do things and serve people and others. But it's not the money that brings the happiness. I tell you what I think the secret to life is from working with these business owners is the fulfillment of life. And what is fulfillment? I think a lot of times fulfillment is taking that road that's less traveled and doing the hard things in life. And one of the th harder things you can do in life is saying, okay, I'm going to take the responsibility upon myself to go out and start a company and do it all 
for myself. And, that, and that, that's just that's a very risky endeavor to go into is that you're going to pay your bills, you're going to raise your family off of only what you do and bring into the family. That's very scary if you think about it in those terms, but it can be completely fulfilling if you can make it work because it is the road that's less traveled. Fewer people obviously start businesses than that are employees for businesses. So you can understand by the more risk you take, just like we talk about in investing, the more risk you take, the better reward you better get. So that's where that extra money comes from as well as the fulfillment, the personal fulfillment of going the road less traveled and actually winning and succeeding and um, making all your dreams come true. So, Camille, I want to commend you for starting that company at such a young age. I think that's tremendous. One of the hardest things I see for brand-new business owners is even if you have the perfect skill set to be successful, a lot of time brand-new business owners sell themselves short on the planning stage, meaning they don't save enough money and they don't put together some type of business plan or spreadsheet or cash flow analysis to make sure they have what it's going to take to survive for those first two, three, four years to get the business going. Because I'll tell you myself, you know, I went out on my own at age 28. Uh, and back then my in-laws thought that I was completely nuts because I didn't get fired or, or um, laid off at some job. I just was, you know, I was at a great paying job, very um, good firm I was working with. I have nothing but great things to say about them. And I just decided that with some life changes that occurred after my father passed away that I just needed to, to have more time at home be, to get more involved with the community. And that's when I made the personal decision I was going to go out on my own. And like I said, my in-laws, I think, thought I was nuts because here I was leaving a great-paying job, and now I was going to um, essentially have no money because when I went out on my own, I had hardly any clients. But um, through hard work and determination, you can build up the client base. But also, one of the secrets to success for my firm, I know, was that I saved up a ton of money. I didn't... Um, I knew that first two years was not going to be super profitable because I didn't have a lot of clients when I started out. So I had saved up enough money to where truly me and my wife could live for a year off of just the money I saved up. Now, I know that sounds like a lot of money, but you also have to do preparation on the other side. It's not necessarily the basket of money you save up, but also cutting your living expenses down while you decide to make this jump because it's hard. You think about it, if you've got a wife, a family, or a husband and children um, it is truly hard to do this if you don't put the time in and prepare because I think that's where most businesses fail is they don't save up enough money to weather that storm of that first two to three years when you're growing the business because the money doesn't just fall out of the sky when you start a company. You have to grow and really go out there and knock on doors and try to get as many people to sign up as possible. But that's the biggest thing I see is the lack of preparation. So if you are going to go out on your own, don't just go um, – you know, do the line of take this job and shove it and plan on being successful. You've truly got to prepare yourself, save the money, and make it work. And that's where that personal fulfillment is truly going to come in. So, Camille, thank you so much. And I want to, I hope this doesn't bother you, Camille, but I'm going to throw out your website because I want people to see what you do for a living. You'll probably like it as a business owner. Any exposure I can get, I like. But um, Camille actually owns the company Remarkable Booking. And you can go find Camille at RemarkableBooking.com. So go check her out. She's um, up in New York and really has a creative business plan, and I hope it, um, it it's very successful for her. But thanks, Camille, for your feedback, and hopefully you can continue to tell all the other ladies in your business owner group um, to continue to subscribe to our show. The last um, email I wanted to talk about today from uh, the, that I've gotten between our, our previous podcast and show was from Ben. Ben 
actually lives in a military community over in Germany, and his wife serves our country over in Iraq right now. And Ben, um, Ben just recently graduated with an accounting degree, and his first question was, he was, he said, I noticed you have both the CPA, which is a certified public accountant, and the PFS, which is personal financial specialist. That's a designation that's only given to CPAs that do financial planning. And he says, and a CFP, which, which is certified financial planner. He says, which designation would you recommend one pursue first? Now, Ben, that's a great question, and I'm going to go into some of your other issues you raised as well, but, as for designations that I'm most proud of, I will tell you first and foremost, I probably am most proud of my CPA. Um, and that stems from the fact of just that it was one of those, taking that CPA exam was one of the hardest things of my life. Um, it's not a cakewalk. Uh, you know, all my friends who are attorneys and so forth, you know, we all talk about which exams are harder, the bar, the CPA, the CFA. Um, some of the designations that are out there. And I truly think the CPA designation is up there at the top of the list. And I think even in spite of what's happened with Enron, Putnam, and, uh, you know, and some of these other things that have occurred out there within the last few years, um, accountants still have a high level of status within our society as being very trustworthy. So I would, I would encourage you to go after the CPA designation first. And then the CFP is not a hard thing to add on after that because you can actually do what's called the challenge status, whereas if you are a CPA with a history of, of service in the financial planning industry, you can challenge the CFP, CFP exam and just sit down for the exam and um, see if you can pass it to get that credential as well. So I would strongly encourage you to go after the CPA first and then jump over to the certified financial planner designation next. Because it is rewarding as well, and I think people do recognize what the CFP is, but the CPA is just... I don't know. It's, it's kind of a personal um, achievement that I'm very proud of. I also wanted to address, because, Ben, you mentioned that you were a um, registered rep for a broker-dealer firm, and you, you were kind of getting on to me a little bit because I did I do trash commission people a little bit. And remember, I come from a background where when I was first doing this, I was commissioned as well. I was a registered rep. And you wrote, I'm just going to read this because I, I want, I want the, the listeners to see what, what Ben wrote. It says, I understand your, your deference to fee-only planners. However, many times it is cost prohibitive for many to engage a fee-only advisor. While when one has a nice nest egg that isn't a large percentage of their total investing dollars, however, as you noted in one of your shows, many people today are spending more than they earn and they have very little starting out and would actually be able to procure services at a lower cost through a commission-based advisor. As long as it was someone like I assume you were when you worked this way or the way I work. Now, I do agree that one has to be careful, but I don't think everyone who sells commission, sells for a commission is necessarily trying to line their pockets at the client's expense. And then he says, okay, I'm done with the bruised ego. Now, Ben, I think you're going to get to a point in your career, because it sounds like you just started in this career field, you get to a point where you are going to notice that a lot of your cohorts might not have the pure of heart that you have yourself. And I want to get, uh, and I'm going to make a good valid point. This is one of the things you wanted me to concede that maybe people who don't have a lot of assets should immediately go to a commission guy because they can't afford to come to a fee-only person like myself because we do have high minimums. Um, my, my reply to that is that's why I'm giving it away, Ben. I'm just, for the people who can't qualify for my services, I'm just giving them as much free advice as possible through this podcast, hoping the do-it-yourselfers out there will find it, they can grow the assets and become them. Now, I will say, you know, I'm sure there's many people like yourself that are trying to do the right thing for the clients. It's just that industry is not set up for the best interest of their clients. And I would encourage you, I think you're going to find through the years, 
that you will probably want to come to the over to the um, away from the dark side, as I would should say, not using too many sci-fi uh, analogies, but come away from the dark side and actually join us on the fee-only side. Um, because I have yet to find a broker-dealer that when a client walks in that has a million dollars, says, wait a minute, you guys have screwed it. You're, you're at the wrong place. Don't you know we're a broker-dealer? We only help the people who don't have money, a lot of money. You need to go down to the street to the fee-only advisor who has your best interest at heart. I have yet to hear a broker-dealer or a registered rep to do that. Um, so I'm, I'm not willing to do the exact same service for you and say, just because you can't qualify for my services, um, you should head down to the commission guy because I think right now the, the best of both worlds is me just to give that advice away, let the people buy those index funds to grow their assets up, and then once they build up, sure, I'd love for them to come through my doors and come talk to me at a later date. But, Ben, I really want to thank you for um, the great email. I'm glad you're a subscriber. I hope you understand where I'm coming from, and I do think you're going to come to this side of the table on the fee only at some point in your career. And I want to thank you and your wife for the services y'all are doing for the country, your wife especially, for serving over in Iraq right now. So thanks so much for the, the, the listener email. And then I want to jump right into the topic of um, winning the car game. Now, I will tell you, my personal preference is to buy used cars. I've actually, that is all I owned until last year. I've only owned used cars up until last year, and I'll tell you what changed my mind was I was trying to buy a Toyota Highlander. You know, it's, I felt like it was um, a great SUV, meaning that I could have a lot of storage. It could sit a lot of people with that third row seat, and it also was kind of light on the drinking of the gas, which was important to me. So I felt like it was a responsible purchase. But what I found out when I was looking at used Highlanders is that I guess they're pretty popular, you know, because Consumer Reports loves them as well as some of the other rating agencies. So there was not much of a discount for buying a used Highlander because I wanted one for with pretty low miles on it. So that's when I determined on that one I, I was actually going to have to buy a new car. So um, I am going to focus the majority of our efforts and discussion today on new cars, but I would prefer for you to look at used cars because you can really build a lot of financial independence by not going out there and wasting money on assets like cars that immediately depreciate as soon as you drive them off the lot. So um, since I am going to focus on new cars, I do want to give you all some quick advice on used car purchasing. Um, one of the things about buying used cars is is it is hard to, to have a really good discussion because, uh, you know, when you buy from a dealership on a brand-new car, you can do an apples-to-apples -apples comparison because a brand-new Highlander at one dealership is going to be just like a brand-new Highlander at a dealership that's 30 minutes away from your house. That's not the same for a used car. There's a lot of things that go into a used car decision, you know, such as um, how, how well the previous owner took care of the car, how many miles are on that car, whether you're buying from an individual or dealer. It's just too much for me to, to cover on this show and, and keep it concise like I'd like to. So um, I want to give you some websites so that I think will help you out tremendously when you research used cars, and then we'll move on to the new car discussion. But the first used car website I always like to look at is autotrader.com. Um, it's a great place to see used cars in your area that are for sale by individuals as well as dealers. The next site that I like to look at is kbb.com. That's Kelly Blue Book's site. Um, that site is great for helping you evaluate what your current car is worth as well as what you should pay for the car you're researching. You can even look at and try to determine what condition the car is in based upon a few questions. And then the last site that I want to give you on the used car side of things is Edmunds.com. Edmunds is unique because it provides, um, and they even, I think, trademarked it, 
but it's the true market value or TMV. You'll see it all over the site. And, and what that does is it shows you what others are paying for new and used cars based upon real sales data in your area. It's also a great site to go look up um, road tests as well as long-term history on certain cars. So I, I'd encourage you to go look at all those sites. And we are going to put these up on the site. That site, once again, is money-guy.com if you want to go check out um, some of these suggestions on used car sites. Now let's jump into um, the new car game. Now hopefully a few of you know what I'm talking about when I talk about the, the game show on NBC called Deal or No Deal with Howie Mandel. Um, it is amazing to me how this show, I, I love it. It's kind of a campy, hokey show, but it really is amazing how you have this fictitious banker that's sitting up there who um, is telling the contestant whether their deal, you know, based upon the odds of how many numbers are out there. Hopefully you've seen the game show and you know what I'm talking about. But you have this fake banker that's sitting up there, you know, that you can only see his silhouette. And that's what's hokey to me and reminds me of um, the car purchasing is that every time they keep coming back and forth saying deal or no deal. And you have to determine whether you're going to take the cash they're offering you or if you're going to keep going and trying to pick additional briefcases that might have more money. And they always go back to this fictitious banker that you're looking up. Well, buying a car is very similar in the fact if you think about that when you go sit down in a car dealership after you've done, you know, you're on their playing field, you get in there with the car dealer and they want to sit you down in their office and they're going to smoke you essentially and, and heat you out, uh, cook you, whatever you want to call it, where they're going to play this game where they're going to have, they go keep coming back saying, well, let me go check with my sales manager. I, I, let's see if that deal works with the sales manager. And they're going to keep going back and forth to this, and I'm using the rabbit ears in the air, sales manager to tell you whether or not you've um, your deal is good enough for him. And I, I just think this is ridiculous because you've let them take hold of the game when you're actually negotiating with a dealer that way. I'm going to tell you right now how we can turn this game upside down. We're, we're not going to let them do this. Um, we're going to turn you into, we're going to make the let's make a deal or deal or no deal. We're going to turn it on your on your side so that you actually have the upper hand on the whole thing. So you also may ask, what in the world am I doing giving car advice? I'm a, supposedly a, a personal financial advisor. Um, how in the world do I know anything about buying cars? So I want to tell you a little bit. One of the things, because I am a true wealth manager and we get into all levels of helping our clients with their financial lives, I buy about three or four cars a year um, for clients, in addition to helping myself when I did this Toyota Highlander. And I'm using the exact tools and techniques that I'm going to provide for you today and share. And I can tell you, if you put the time in and do the research and legwork, this advice that I'm about to give you will save you thousands. That's right. I said thousands of dollars. You're going to be able to go brag to all of your neighbors, your friends, what just a financial guru you are by using these great tactics I'm going to give you. And you might say, why in the world is Brian giving this advice away? Why would you give us your whole playbook on how you buy cars? It's one of those things. It seems like the more stuff I give away to you guys and as well as to, to people who call up, the more business I get. I think it's, I don't know if it's a karma thing or if it's just doing good things, you know, good things come back to you. Um, but just by doing, giving good free advice, I think, you know, I'm not worried about losing clients from this. So I'm going to go ahead and open up the playbook and share every bit of this with you. Um, why would, you know, and one of the things by doing these tactics, I have actually bought cars below invoice price from dealers. And you say, well, why would a dealer sell a car below invoice? The answer to that is it's all about the volume of sales at that dealership. 
Dealers get incentives as well as what's called holdback payments from the manufacturers based upon the volume of cars that they sell off their lot. Um, if you present yourself and hold yourself out as an informed buyer, the dealership is going to be more likely to look at you as one more car on their monthly sales volume sheet instead of a profit center for that specific transaction. So I want to, you know, what I'm trying to do is turn that game upside down is what we're trying to do. So how do we go and what do we, what's the first step and what do we need to do? The first thing is you, you before you do anything, you've got to figure out which type of car you want. You need to do your research and determine um, what car you want, including the options that are important to you. And that's very crucial. You've got to figure out exactly you know, if there's steering wheel controls, that was my big thing on the Highlander. I wanted to be able to flip the radio while I was driving down the street. So steering wheel controls um, were very important to me. You need to figure out those options and write them down. And then once, you know, if you need help on trying to figure out which model of car is best for you, I would, I would strongly encourage you um, to subscribe to Consumer Reports or at least go out to their website at consumerreports.org. To, to see what they recommend is the best new cars to buy based upon reliability and customer satisfaction. You can also continue to do research through Edmunds.com, which is another one of the sites I listed when we were talking about used car research as well. And then once you settle on a car, you can go take a test drive. Now let me stop you right there. Test drive is going to be one of those places where you could get tested on how strong you are in this whole car buying process because when you go do a test drive with a dealership, more than likely, they're going to want to get some contact information, and then after you do the test drive, they're going to want to sit you down in their office and do that dreaded game of deal or no deal. And I'm going to encourage you, truly be strong and make a promise to yourself before you step foot into that dealership to do the test drive that you are not going to negotiate or do anything with that dealership that day. That's just a bad situation. If you do that, um, you're putting yourself right into their game, and that's exactly what the dealership wants you to do. They're counting on you to be willing and to get emotional and want to buy their car on the spot because you had such a great time driving that car, so they want to take advantage of your emotions and sell that car to you for a higher price than you could get it otherwise, lining their pockets with more profits. So don't be a victim to that game. We're going to be strong. Do this the financial guy, the money guy in the financial chaos way and really learn how to do this and save yourself some money. Um, remember, the, the, when you walk into that sales floor at the dealership, that's the set of their game show. And we're trying to turn this game upside down, and you don't want to be that victim. So make sure you know which car you want before you do anything. So you've got to go research what car you want. The second thing you need to do is use the Internet. Let's go to, you need to go to the manufacturer's website. And this is, this is a big tip that most people don't recognize is most manufacturer websites now, if you go to Toyota.com, I think you can go to Chevrolet.com, Honda.com, Nissan Motors. A lot of these will ask you to input a zip code, and they're looking for you to input your zip code. Now, here's the tip that's huge, because this makes a big difference on how well you can surf the inventory at each dealership. You need to go find out every dealership around you within 50 miles. Actually get their physical address, including zip code, because a lot of these websites that are set up by the manufacturers will show you the inventory in your area only at the specific dealership that you list when you type in your zip code. So if you type in the dealer's zip code instead of your zip code, you can go pick out, because they might not tell you what the actual 
um, inventory is at each dealership, but you can back into what that is by doing this search the way I'm telling you. So go type in the dealership zip code for every one of those, and you can see the inventory of what they have on their lots from typing in those zip codes. That's a huge tip because the, those sites are set up so that you can type in your zip code. They're only going to show you what the dealers in your area, and that's really taken out a lot of the cards that might be available to help you negotiate. So definitely go find out those dealerships. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I'm most, you ask, well, who's doing this? I know I've done personal research on Hondas, Toyotas, as well as General Motors cars, and they all, you can pull up the inventories at a lot of their their, their their dealerships. And Toyota is so far ahead of the curve, just like they are on their cars, you can tell I'm a very happy Highlander owner, is that um, they actually will show you the cars that are en route to the dealerships. My Highlander that I bought was not even at the dealership when I was negotiating the price. The, the car, sh I had to wait three or four days from the time I'd agreed to the deal with the sales manager before I could go pick it up because it was actually in transit um, to come to me. So a lot of these dealerships and these websites are high-tech to the point that you can actually see the cars before they even arrive on the dealer's floors. So know what you want first step. Then next you want to go out to the manufacturer's websites and find two or three, hopefully you can get up to four or five, cars that have the exact options you want, the exact colors, and are identical cars. That's huge. If you have identical cars at two or three different dealerships, you've got them because that means now you can pit them against each other and turn the game on its ear and it's in your favor. So once you find the cars, let's move on to step three. Now you got to figure out what you're going to pay for this thing. Um, I always go, the first place you want to go is probably carsdirect.com. What, what's really unique about carsdirect.com is you don't have to give any personal information or anything, and you're still able to pull up the MSRP, which is what the suggested retail price is for these vehicles from the manufacturers. You can also see what the invoice supposed price is to the dealers, so what the dealers are paying for them. And then also you can see what some dealership in your area is willing to offer you that car for right from the Internet. So this is very valuable information, and you can price these cars with options, which is tremendous as well. So you want to go out and find that and um, go ahead and price it out on Cars Direct. The next thing you want to do, and this is, this is another one of those financial chaos topic tips that you're not going to hear anywhere else because this is something that I use. It's tried and true, but it takes a little research, but it works. If you go to Edmunds.com, there's, there's a little-known section on there called Forums. If you click that Forums button on the top of the page, you'll get clicked to another page. And from the forum's main page, you can now browse discussions by vehicles. You can actually go choose the model type of, that you're looking for based upon manufacturer. And then there's always, on every one of those vehicles, there's a discussion topic with the name of prices paid and buying experiences. And what this is, this is, will be hundreds of postings of people throughout the country who have actually bought the model of car that you are looking to buy and what they've paid and what their experience has been. This is valuable information because you can actually see kind of based upon what's going on in the economy and the area and so forth, what people are actually driving off the lots with these cars. This is data that's just incredibly important to know because now you've got two big things. You've got from Cars Direct, you've got what the invoice price is, You've also got what some local dealers willing to sell it to you for, and you've got the MSRP. And then you go to Edmonds in their forum section. Now you're seeing what actually other people around the country as well as in your area are paying for these vehicles. That's just that's very important to me. So once you figure out kind of what 
people are paying for these cars. You've now got a great baseline to know what cars are selling for so you won't get ripped off. And hold to your guns on that. Once you know what a car is worth, you need to be serious about what you're willing to pay and don't get talked into the emotional part of paying more than you'd plan to pay for a car. Now, that was the first three steps. Let's review those because I'm going to review them as we do each one. His first step is know which car you want. Go do the research. Number two is to go out to the manufacturer websites and locate the inventory at each of the dealerships in the 50-mile radius of your house. Third, go figure out what the baseline is to pay for the cars based upon carsdirectandedmonds.com forums research. And then fourth, now you want to go, um, now that you're loaded up with the research and the necessary information, you want to call the dealerships directly from your house or your office. Remember, you're not going into their office or the dealership, but you're going to call each of those three dealerships that have the three or four cars that are identical except for their different dealerships. You want to call and you want to ask for the sales manager. Um, now, you, no guarantee you're actually going to talk to the sales manager right off the get-go. They might put you either with the Internet sales specialist or they might put you with some salesperson off the floor. But what you want to say when they answer the phone is you want to let them know that you are buying a car, you're ready to buy a car, you know exactly which car you want, and they are the fortunate enough dealership to have one of the exact cars you want on their lot and inventory. And then you need to tell them that you have two or three of the exact same cars at other dealerships in the area, and you're looking to buy, no haggle, no hassles, you're looking to buy based upon who gives you the lowest price. And then you tell them what you want, you tell them, you can possibly even from the manufacturer websites, tell them the VIN number or the model number as well as the information, the actual locator number, ID tag to find that car, and then tell them to call you back with their lowest price. Tell them you're not looking to hassle. Now, I will tell you the first thing they're going to try to do, because remember, they're good at this. You don't think you're the first person to ever do this to them. They're going to try to negotiate with you that you need to come by and have a discussion with them. You know, because they'll say, we can, I know we can work out a deal, and, um, you know, I know we can give you a price. They'll probably, might even give you a price, you know, a price that's not their best deal, but they'll say, won't you come by and let's discuss this. Stay away from the dealership. Remember, that's the set of deal or no deal. You're not going to go talk to the fake banker known as the sales manager. That's just crazy. You are going to say, no, I'm not coming by until I'm bringing my check and buying the car. So give me your rock-bottom price, and um, I'll let you know how that compares to the other dealers that I'm contacting. Now, I will tell you, in my experience of doing this, you might find one or two dealers that are not willing to deal with you. If that's the case, fine, you didn't want to buy a car from them anyway because if they're not going to deal with you this way, how good is it going to be to do other things with them in the future? So write that dealership off. But I am surprised by the majority of them because, remember, it's a volume game. A lot of the dealers you're going to be dealing with are trying to get that sales position as the top dealer in the area, and they're trying to meet their quotas for the end of the month. They will deal with you. So go ahead and put them on the spot, tell them, and then let them call you back with that price. Now, what I have found from my experience is that you will be dealing with possibly a salesperson, not the sales manager at first, but you know you've done well when you start getting that call back from the sales manager because that means that you've broken through the first barrier and they're ready to deal with you because they can tell that you're a serious buyer, you are showing up with a check, and this is it. So put them against each other. You're going to know when the time is right to pull the trigger because you're probably either going to get them close to invoice or way below what the other dealers are willing to do. Um, I tell you my own my most recent experience. I had a dealer call me back and say, "Let's just take this deal off the table. I'm going to give you this deal, and never tell them what the other dealer is necessarily offering you. Just say, you know, that's not 
as good as what I've gotten from so-and-so. And you can get specific if you want to, but be careful. Don't get too specific because, remember, these dealerships know each other, and you don't want to taint them to call a buddy who might be at the dealership, you know, 10 miles down the street. So be careful how much you tell them um, because you don't want to ruin your negotiation tag. Just tell them there's, another, there's two more cars just like this in the same metro area that you're currently at, and that will usually keep them honest on it. But they'll eventually tell you they're going to pull the deal off the table, and like my last deal, we've gone back three or four different times with the two, three dealerships, and he was full eight to $900 below the other dealers, and he was almost $1,500 below invoice, which I just thought was insane. And not to mention, you'd be surprised what these guys are willing to throw in because they have some throwaways that are huge markup items that they can just give you a lot of times. Um, floor mats, sometimes you can get away with getting these floor mats pretty much thrown in on the deal, as well as cargo nets. I mean, these are huge markup items that you can get for pretty much free if you do the right type of negotiation. So I hope some of this has helped you. I want to review this one more time as you need to know which car you want first Two. You need to go out and find the exact models by going on the manufacturer's website and locating inventory within a 50-mile radius at all the dealerships. Find two to four cars out there to research. I mean, to, to put against each other. Three, you need to figure out what to pay by going out to CarsDirect and Edmunds.com. And then four, you need to get on the phone, try to get that sales manager on there, and never, never show up at the dealership. Those are that is just I. You do this tactic, and you're going to save a ton of money on your next new car purchase. Now, I did want to give you a little bit of some notes because I've thrown a lot of information at you. I want to give you some closing thoughts on just some things to avoid when you are car shopping. Try to avoid negotiating with the dealers on site. Um, you have much more leverage if you have a phone in your hand versus sitting in their desk where they're trying to smoke you out on the whole thing or cook you, pressure cook you. Um, never discuss whether or not you want to trade in your existing car until after you've reached the deal on the new car that you're trying to buy. That's where they'll try to do a little bait and switch or, you know, move the, they'll try to give you a great deal on the new car, but maybe they'll rip you off on the used car. So it's better to negotiate the new car first, and then if they try to, you know, rip you off on the used car, just walk away and you can go sell it yourself or go trade it in at CarMax or some of these other places that will just pay you cash for your vehicle. Uh, and then the last tip I can give you is research, research, and more research. I want you to know more about the car than that guy that's trying to sell it to you over the phone or when you go do the test drive. That is one of the most important things out there. So I hope this has been a tremendous help for you. I want to tell you about two books because I do such a dreadful job of bringing up these books. But these are books that I'm recommending to you for um, homework. Remember, the first one I've already mentioned today was called The Wealthy Barber, David Chilton book. This is a great book. If you are just now getting into learning about your personal finances, read this book. Give it to your kids if they just graduate from high school or college. Incredible book. It will motivate them. It will change your life. It, I know it helped me out tremendously. The second book I have actually never read, but um, remember I got an email from um, one of our subscribers named Camille, and this she said this was a life-changing book for her on getting her life in order before she started a company. So I figured I'd throw it out there because I read some reviews on it. It seemed like it was a great book. It's called, and it's kind of interesting, it says, Nice Girls Don't Get Rich. Um, and it's done by Dr. Frankel. So I want you to go look at, um, I'll put both of these on our website, which is money-guide.com. And if you want to know what you can continue to do to help us, please get more and more people to subscribe. Um, we need all the feedback we can get on iTunes. I would love to continue to grow up on that popularity list to see if we can even go further, than, higher than 23 on that top 25. 
You have been a tremendous help to me on growing this podcast. And I just thank you so much for your help and continued support of this website. With that said, I want to wish you much happiness and may God bless you with good wealth, family, friends, and future success. Thank you so much and until next time.